What's up, guys? Max here with another episode of the Scuttlebutt Show. Audio should be sounding good. I hope it is out there for you guys. Welcome back, everybody in the chat. Brick Gang in the house. Everybody's out there. Thank you guys for joining me today. I saw some comments about the music in the last couple episodes. And Justin, who's a big listener of the show and a good friend of mine and over there on a patron, had given me a great recommendation to create a playlist on YouTube featuring the songs that are used in the show. And I'm going to be doing that very soon. So stay tuned for that. That's coming very, very soon. We've got a jam-packed show today about the Navy, a bunch of stuff out of the Air Force. And before you know it, we're going to be talking about Steven Seagal himself, which I did not think was going to be a thing anytime soon, but we're going to be talking about that. We got a little bit of news out of uh, Okinawa with somebody who's been uh, making the rounds in a good way, in a good way. So we've got that coming up too. So really quick, let me give a rundown through the chat here. We got Ryan, Andrew, Jojo, Amelia, Tyler, Chris, uh, Regal. We got Steven. We got... Uh, Justin, everybody, Danger Zone is in here. Ned is in here. What's up, Brick Gang in the house? So Steven says, if DWK can get to 90K, Max, you're on your way. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Did you guys get a chance to watch the video I posted this morning to YouTube, the skit that I did? Uh, if you haven't, we're going to watch it at the end of today's show together, and I'll be able to laugh with you guys at it. We had a lot of fun making it. Shout out to my boy, Yay out here in Okinawa who helped me with it. Uh, that was a lot of fun to make, and we've got a lot more of those planned and a lot more coming, maybe every week. Um, it's all based on my experiences working with you know Navy SEALs and Green Berets. It's going to be just me talking to me. One character is going to be like a Navy SEAL or Green Beret. The other character is going to be me in some of my experiences working with them. I'm also wearing my Space Force shirt today. I don't know if you guys noticed that. I'm rocking my Space Force shirt. Shout out to Space Force for always doing their thing and making a lot of great content for my show. Honestly, um, I couldn't do this without the Space Force. So today is, uh, we have a bunch of stuff. We have a bunch of stuff today um, to get to. And so I figure I wouldn't waste any more time not talking about today's stories. And so the first one, that we got is kind of a chill story. We're going to start with kind of a chill story out of uh, the Navy. So the USS Sterrett is getting a shout out from Task and Purpose for flying their badass battle flag on the way back to port. So we'll see this thing here in a second. But it says, in ancient Greek folklore, the phoenix is a bird that cyclically regenerates or is born again. So the USS Sterrett has returned from its more than 10-month-long stint at sea. By the way, if you guys have never been on a boat out to sea in the Navy, 10 months is an exceptionally long time to be at sea and you can be sure that they did not hit a lot of ports because of COVID. So that would have been a really tricky deployment to be on. The Arleigh Burke class guided missile destroyer sailed back into its home port in San Diego on February 26th. So just a couple days ago, rocking a new and unquestionably badass battle flag showing a Phoenix wreathed in flames and emblazoned in red, yellow, and orange. And we've got a, a picture of the flag flying right here. So let's check this out. A little little uh, Instagram video. I'll have to open this up. And we've got the, uh, the flag flying here. And how cool is that? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So... Shout out to them. The Sterra participated in a record-breaking deployment with more than 10 months at sea as part of the Nimitz Carrier Strike Group assigned to 5th Fleet and 7th Fleet, during which time they partook in freedom of navigation operations, supported Operation Inherent Resolve. By the way, Inherent Resolve is what's going on in Iraq and Syria and around the world. And that's the battle against ISIS and the kind of, you know, growth that happened with them. When we first went back to Iraq in 2014, uh, to combat this, it was Operation Inherent Resolve. So if you're not sure what that is, that's what it is. The USS Sterrett was attacked by pirates off the coast in 2011 of Somalia who fired an RPG at the destroyer. The attack came during negotiations with the pirates who had kidnapped four Americans and held them hostage with intent to ransom them. U.S. Special Operations Forces prepared to board the pirates' vessel. The hostages were shot and killed. The U.S. troops killed two of the pirates as they took custody of the vessel and detained 15 others. That's insane. I think I kind of remember that. The USS Sterrett had its commissioning ceremony in Baltimore, Maryland, the birthplace of Andrew Sterrett, on August 9, 2008, after being produced by Bath Iron Works in Bath, Maine. Bath Iron Works. They must make a lot of ships. So this thing totally jacked me up here. Where am I? Where am I? The USS Sterrett's official motto is forever dauntless, and honestly, that's pretty fitting considering 
Its new battle flag shows a legendary bird that simply cannot die. There's something poetic about the vessel's new color, since the current U.S. Astaire is actually the fourth. Its predecessors, predecessors include a Belknap-class guided missile cruiser, which saw action in Vietnam and in Cold War, a Benham-class destroyer, and fought during World War II. The original U.S. Astaire, a modified Paulding-class destroyer or Fiver, or Fliver, that saw combat in the First World War. And so there you go. That's that flag right there, flying the flag. I think that's pretty cool that the Navy lets the ships fly their battle flag as they're steaming out and uh, and back around. The, the Reagan that I was on, the carrier, had this 76 flag, like this red and white striped flag with a 76 on it. It was not nearly as badass. All right, the chat is popping right now. You guys are awesome in the chat. So let's see. When's the next AO Nixo collab? Uh, soon. But I can't get a hold of AO Nixo right now. So if you guys are in his Discord or you got contact with him, tell him to hit me up because I, I don't have any contact info for him except for YouTube. And uh, it's it's been, I don't know, he disappeared off the, off the planet to me. So if you guys can coordinate that, if you guys want to give give a shout out to him, let him know to hit me up, then that'd be great. Uh, can't wait to see a space Marine. Can't wait to be a space Marine. Danger zone, get some. Justin says better have gotten their beer days. How much you want to bet they did not? I bet they did, got totally screwed out of everything. Um, where's Syphy? Yeah, where's Syphy at? So, hello from Texas, Audra. Audra, what's up? Welcome to the chat. Like a phoenix rising from Arizona, Frank Costanza. <laughs> uh, Ned says, wait, what ship has the Aegis missile system? Um, a bunch of ships have Aegis, right? Don't a bunch of ships have Aegis missile systems? Uh, Earl says, hey, Rachel. Hey, Rachel, what's up? Welcome to the chat. Glad, to always as always, to see you. Um Justin says, oh, here we go. So everyone just catching up. I hope you're all doing well in the chat. It's nice to see you all. Uh, happy to take any questions you guys got today as per usual. Um, if you guys have any questions or comments, you know, I'm always monitoring the chat for those. So, oh, what's up? Pretty Boy Swag with $2 dono, road to 90K. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. Pretty, it's uh, always an honor to see that come through. Road to 90K. Hey, we're taking it. We're taking it one step at a time. With, uh, we're taking it one step at a time with, we're about to hit 1200, 2k, 10k, 25, 50, 100, whatever we get to, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm optimistic. You know, things are continuing to grow. It's, you can't predict it though. It's totally unpredictable. It's, um, it's, uh, like that, that video I did for the six days in Fallujah blew up. It's, you know, something over 12,000 views now. There's just no way to know. So I'm hoping these skits are uh, enjoyable by people. You guys are saying that they're funny. Jordan says the video was hilarious. Thank you very much. Uh, the next one that I'm going to do, so you guys in the live stream today will be the first to hear this. The next one that I'm going to do is going to be all about explaining what my job actually was because I figure people don't really still get it maybe. And uh, and that's not something I'm trying to keep a secret. So I'm happy to talk about it. But um, on the next, the next video, the next one of those skits that I do is going to be me explaining to... Uh, me on the other side of the screen, uh, what I actually do uh, as my job for them. And then that might uh, make a little bit more sense for everybody. So we've got, so thank you, Pretty. Uh, I appreciate that. So we have another story here out of the Air Force. We actually have a bunch of Air Force stories today. So let me get to this next story about the Air Force because I thought this was pretty cool. Air Force Special Operations Command wants a flying box for a variety of operations. Look at this thing. Yates Electrospace announced it had been awarded an Air Force contract for development of a scaled-down version of an autonomous silent aero glider, shown here in an illustrated image. So a glider is actually a type of plane. Uh, it's You have like jets, uh, rotary wing aircraft, and you have gliders. And so I guess what they're saying is that this is a glider. Air Force Special Operations Command headquartered at Hurlbert, Hurlbert Field. <laughs> I can't ever say it. Hurlbert Field down in Florida could get a scaled-down version of an existing glider for an unspecified U.S. operations, according to recent contract announcements. Outside of the formal contract announcements, AFSOC, Air Force Special Operations Command, itself is indicating that it generally sees the glider as a very efficient and flexible way to conduct standoff operations, uh, standoff airdrop resupply operations, getting supplies to troops without having to be directly over a target area, according to an email responding to daily news query on the command's plans for the glider. So this says, a very efficient and flexible way to conduct standoff airdrop resupply. So airdrop resupply is a really cool mission that the military does where they fly over and they drop pallets of gear with parachutes attached to them and they land somewhere near your base. This is how we would get all of our supplies in Afghanistan. This is how we would get food, 
mail, I believe, came on these things. So they would fly over, dump out, you know, 30 or 40 pallets with parachutes. They would, the chutes would open, they would land in just outside of our base and we would go recover them and then bring them back to base. And the cool, the, the cool thing was always, uh, and I don't know how cool this was when it happened, but looking back, it was always kind of funny. There would always be one or two pallets where the parachutes wouldn't open. So they would burn into the deck at like a thousand miles an hour and this massive explosion of like hamburger patties and protein shakes and, uh, pop tarts, just a gigantic, like devastating impact of these things. And it was always really fun to watch, but you were always bummed out too, because it meant a lot of your food just got totally wrecked and we try to bring as much back as possible. So according to an email, uh, AFSOC sees the glider as an effective and efficient way to conduct EW electronic warfare, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, ISR, as well as other non-kinetic battlefield effects, battlefield missions that don't involve explosives, other munitions. So this will not be an armed aircraft, it'll be unarmed. So that's good for flying into different countries and stuff where you don't have to bring weapons. Cause once you put weapons on aircraft armaments, it's a whole different deal getting in and out of uh, countries cause it's not diplomatic anymore. So the glider designed for launching out of the back of a large aircraft, such as the four engine C-130 comprises of a wooden box with an aluminum frame that measures two feet tall, two feet wide and eight feet long. Oh, it's small, smaller than I would have thought. Oh, it's a wooden box with an aluminum airframe. So this glider must just carry the gear and land, and then it's one-time use, I suppose. The box, which can carry more than 1,600 pounds of cargo, is subsequently outfitted with an autopilot-equipped nose cone and a rear twin-tail assembly, according to the diagram on on a website describing the craft and its capabilities. The silent arrow is pushed out of its host aircraft, four wings atop the box spring out to send the glider into flight with a full payload launched from 25,000 feet and it can glide for up to 40 miles. So every aircraft has a glide ratio. It's how far forward it would it will go for every one foot down is generally how it's expressed. So, you know, 12 to 1, 10 to 1, 20 to 1. So 25,000 feet in the air is 40,000 miles. So that's like four miles high, and it can glide for 40 miles. So that's like a, a 10 to 1. So 10 feet forward for every one foot down, this thing will glide, which is very efficient. And then it hits the deck and it probably is going to be in fairly rough shape after that. So it's not clear exactly how much smaller the glider wanted by AFSOC will be in comparison with the full-size glider, but a news release announcing the contract awarded to Silent Arrow, which is part of the Yates Electrospace, notes that it will be scaled down sufficiently to be deployed from a cargo ramp of an Osprey. So that's got to be pretty small to fit in there. It can also deploy the silent aero version from various helicopters, according to reports on a recent contract. So it's small. Like there's no, no helicopter, even like a 46 or whatever, 53 is that big. So this thing must be pretty small. Silent aero. Well, but then again, helicopters could carry it underneath too. So I guess it could be slung loaded from a helicopter, like off the cargo hook. Silent Arrow will do its work under the contract in partnership with the Air Force Research Laboratory headquartered in Ohio's Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Neither the news release or other sources of info on the contract officially titled Feasibility of Downsizing and Adapting Commercial Silent Arrow Cargo Delivery UAS Unmanned Aerial Systems to meet specific AFSOC operational requirements indicated dollar amount of the contract. It's probably like a pretty expensive contract, hundreds of millions of dollars maybe. Looking ahead to its future with the scaled-down Silent Arrow, AFSOC noted in its Wednesday email that the command is interested in seeing future demonstrations of the aircraft agnostic glider, meaning that it is not limited to use with a single type of aircraft because the glider is expected to be able to be employed much more accurately and precisely than current aerial delivery systems available to military forces. So it does totally make sense to me that a glider would be a better option because as it is now, they're using parachutes on pallets and those can be, you know, jacked up by wind they can be, you know, they can burn in pretty hot and they're not guided. So having a guided glider sounds pretty cool. And then let's say you're out on op and you can like, you know, run up and grab your gear out of the back of this thing, whatever's in it, you can have a pretty good idea of where it's going to land. So you could meet it there at the exact time it's supposed to land there, grab your gear, hit the road. I think that's pretty cool, but it's really small too. So what type of gear would this actually be? It would probably be like, mm, uh, rations for a mission, uh, supply, medical supplies, ammunition, stuff like that. So it's not going to be like resupplying full bases with, you know, vehicle parts and things like that. So, uh, curious to see more. I'm, I think that that's actually a pretty cool idea. Uh, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see rotary wing type drones, you know, like, like, uh, helicopter quadcopter type drones doing a similar sort of mission in the future, but a glider is going to be a lot cheaper, I assume, and a lot less of a loss if one, uh, 
you know, is totally destroyed on impact or unrecoverable or something like that. Let me catch up on the chat here really quick. Rachel Skit was great. Thank you very much. Audrey, you sound great this evening. Thank you very much. Andrew, how do you eat an elephant? What is it? One bite at a time or something like that. Uh, Steven says one bite at a time. That's oh, cool. Love the skit. Audrey says, thank you. Chris Hernandez says red paint. Uh, am I explain that? Explain that one to me. Um, maybe I'm missing it. Crayon paint. Uh, that looks like what I would make in first grade. Oh, are you talking about the, uh, the aircraft right there? That's pretty funny. Those look like a little class project on like a diorama. Uh, Larry says, I know someone who did two deployments, 06 and 07 on the Reagan. She was in VFA 22. So I was on the 06 deployment on the Reagan, Larry. Uh, I did the 06 deployment, the initial maiden voyage of the Reagan, the first Westpac. Uh, I'm not a plank owner of the Reagan, but I was on that first deployment. That deployment was pretty cool. I only did about half of it to be totally honest, because I left to go to a school after that, uh, in the middle of that deployment. So I did about half of that deployment and, uh, beat it off the ship. But the Reagan was a workhorse for the Navy back then because they did deployment 06, deployment 07. Then they did a deployment and then the, a rim pack. And then they did a deployment because the, what was it? The Washington, like the bridge caught on fire, like a hazmat fire. So the Reagan deployed again, then it moved to Japan. And it was just like that ship was just getting worked over. Chair force stories are always the best. Andrew says, how does the air force get such nice living with all that budget spent on R and D? The air force just manages their budget. They just put more money towards MWR. They put more money towards building barracks. Like when I was in, for example, Bagram, Afghanistan, the air force built their own apartment buildings you know, maybe that's overstating a little bit of apartment buildings, but like, you know, duplex style buildings of a living for Air Force in Afghanistan, in Afghanistan. And the rest of us were living in like, you know, Connex boxes and, you know, metal huts and stuff like that. They just know how to do it. It's like in the Air Force, you can be a, you can work at the gym. Like when I go to Kadena Air Force Base in Okinawa and I go to the gym, the people at the front desk are active duty airmen. That's a job. Like that doesn't exist in anywhere else in the military. Not as far as I know. Justin says, as long as it wasn't the energy drinks burning into the deck, dude, energy drinks were like gold. And we had these weird ones that I've never even heard of. Uh, but yeah, it was always the super heartbreaking if something good got destroyed. 53s are huge, Audra, but like compared to a, a C-130 or a C-5 or something like that, then, you know, you got to, you scale it down. Glider seems like a good idea. Surprised it wasn't thought of earlier. That's a good point, you know, but there's always a, you know, there's always the current thing is good enough type attitude. Like why fix what ain't broke? Andrew says some hypersonic R7D is going on at Wright Pat, Wright Patterson. Um, I got to check that out. R&D. I, I got R&D. Oh, some hypersonic R&D going on at Wright Patterson. Andrew, by the way, uh, Andrew emailed me this weekend something and I read it twice and I think I need to have my hand held to read it again to, under, to totally understand it. Uh, that, that thing that you sent me. Um, but it seems pretty cool. And that, that's cool, dude. Thank you for reaching out and telling me a little bit about yourself and what you do. Justin says they could hook it up to the cargo hook like we do with the R hib. So it, it, uh, flies the rib, the rib boats. So it flies better than hanging like a vert rep load. Yep. Very true. I've stood under a CH 53 for vert reps. They block out the sun <laughs> doing standing underneath an aircraft for vert reps is always so sketch. If you've done that in the chat, then, uh, let me know if you've done vert reps. Andrew Walsh makes a lot of sense for the SF and SOC troops. Pallets are easier for the conventional forces. Yeah. Well, when we were out there with uh, Afghanistan, I was with uh, SF and we would get the pallets and we would have to roll out with a flatbed and a forklift to get the pallets. And we would go cut the parachutes off, you know, use the, the forklift. Usually we would have to like get the pallet right side up fix the broken like planks on it and then get the forklift under there, get onto the flatbed. Cause that would be like right outside of our, uh, our base. Justin says, what if they start using the gliders like they do UDFs and SF personnel to fly in? Dude, that would be so cool. That would be so badass. Actually, hang on. We've got two guys coming in hot to back you guys up. That would be so badass. I bet they do. And they have free Wi-Fi. <laughs> boom, booms. Uh, they could I'm sure that they could put just some, some, you know, the military version of like an, an improvised explosive in there, just rig something up and glide it into a building or so. I mean, I'm not saying, uh, I'm not saying you should do that, but you could go ahead and load that thing with some explosives and a timer or a charge on there or something and send it into like a building or whatever. Probably be pretty cool too. It's interesting putting a 53 inside of a C-130. It's crazy that they put trucks and aircraft into other aircraft. How 
bonkers is that? How crazy is that? Stan needs a boom boom. Um, I assume you're saying Afghanistan needs a boom boom regal. I'm sure that that's uh, you and Jones chatting there. Uh, worked on 53s in the Navy. Nice, Audra. 53s are awesome aircraft to work on. That's the uh, that's pretty old school. They've been around for a long time. I've flown in a couple, um, and I worked on 60s, and I never liked flying either. Um, always a little sketch to me, especially uh, in Iraq or Afghanistan. Always, always uh, heebie-jeebies. So there's a cool, an, another Air Force. It's all about the Air Force. We got like three or four more Air Force stories to do today. It's all about the Air Force today. And this next story, oh, by the way, guys, if you haven't had a chance already to check out the links in the description on how to support the channel, you can buy yourself a t-shirt at scuttlebuttshow.com. You can become a patron on our Patreon link down below. And if you do become an elite level patron for $10 a month on the second month, I'll send you out a free Scuttlebutt Show t-shirt to whatever address you tell me to, whatever size you want. So if that's something you're interested in, getting yourself a shirt, nice quality shirts, then check out the Patreon down below or scuttlebuttshow.com. So we've got this other story here out of the Air Force and what this is, I don't know. I didn't even read, I didn't pre-read this one. So we're going to go through it uh, together. Air Force General, feel this next-gen fighter in time to beat China. So look at this sketch here. The Air Force is looking beyond its penetrating counter-air concepts unveiled in 2016 and is now moving toward a family of systems. So a family of systems generally means you have a three or four aircraft or whatever it is that are all kind of, they work together to accomplish one mission and they all serve a different sort of task. So you have the, let's say the small, medium and large version of something and the family of systems would be like, I need the small one for this and a large one for this. And then later we'll need the medium one, something like that. That's a very, very, very basic kind of explanation of a family of systems. The Air Force must field its next-gen air dominance NGAD fighter soon if it wants to compete with China, the general in charge of the service's fighter fleet said Friday. Mark Kelly, head of Air Combat Command, said he is confident that adversaries like China facing this new technology will suffer a very tough day and tough week and tough war. It, he's saying if we have this uh, aircraft. What I don't know and what we're working on, we're working with our great partners is if our nation will have the courage and the focus to field this capability before someone like the Chinese fields it and uses it against us, he said during a virtual chat with reporters at the Air Force's annual Aerospace Warfare Symposium. In September, the Air Force revealed it had quietly built and flown a brand new aircraft prototype that could become a future advanced fighter jet. Officials have said the NGAD defies traditional categorization as a single aircraft platform or technology. Instead, it's made up of a network of advanced fighter aircraft, sensors, and weapons in a growing and unpredictable threat environment. Oh, interesting. The NGAD program could also include fighters and autonomous drones fighting side by side. So maybe this is one of those aircraft that launches other aircraft or has like a swarm technology built in. We just need to make sure we keep our narrative up and articulate the unambiguous benefit we've held had as a nation to have that leading edge technology, ensuring we have air superiority for the nation and the joint force, Kelly said. When asked how close the Air Force was to fielding NGAD, Kelly demurred, the Air Force is developing NGAD alongside a future fighter roadmap in an ongoing TAC air study. Air Force officials are trying to determine the right mix of aircraft for the future inventory and assessing how future air concepts would fit into the mix of fourth and fifth gen fighters. This study will give us that 10 to 15 year lens. So we're not trying to deal with it day by day, week by week, year by year. The Air Force wants to outline specific missions sets for its aircraft where it can. Deploying high-end fighters like the F-35 or F-22 for a routine allied patrol mission, for instance, is costly overkill. Lockheed Martin, the F-35's manufacturer, estimates the jet's cost per flight hour at $36,000 with the goal of reducing it to $25,000 by the end of 2025. Now, when you ask, when they when they say the estimated cost estimated cost per flight hour. Every flight hour has a maintenance cost associated with it. So I don't remember what these are. I never got high enough in naval aviation to know, to really remember what like a 60s cost per flight hour was. Maybe if somebody knows that, drop it in the, in the comments. But they go, every hour that an aircraft flies has a certain number of maintenance hours associated with it, a certain rate of decline of parts a rate of decline in the life of the airframe, the cost of the fuel, the likelihood of parts to go bad on a flight or damage to incur, battle damage, something like that, combat damage. Um, and they come up with a flight hour cost. So $36,000 an hour to fly a jet. When I talk about like, when you guys hear me say things like, um, 
you know, I don't care if people want, here's, here's a common one that this always comes up. I don't care if people get like gender reassignment surgery in the military and people say like, you want our tax dollars to go to that? It costs $36,000 an hour to fly an F-35. Can you think about, have you ever thought about that? $35,000 an hour to fly this plane. And we're flying these things probably hundreds of hours a day, at least, at least hundreds of hours a day around the world, okay, on these long missions. And then you do like, you know, if there's a mishap or something, that's like a billion dollars or whatever. And we don't blink an eye. And then all the air, if you just think about the cost per flight hour of the U.S. military's the, just the Navy, for example's fleet of aircraft that they fly every day, it's incomprehensible, okay? It's unimaginable what we spend every day money-wise. I mean, there's no, there, there, there's no wrapping your head around it. It's insane. So anyway, cost aside, and then, and then the Navy will like shut you down. The military will like shut you down if you go like, hey, we need $500 for, you know, new gear that's going to save all, everybody's life. And they're like, $500? You can't come in here asking for $500. What do you think? We're made of money? No, no, denied. That is denied. Please go back. Please go back down to your shop. That is denied. Come back on September 1st when we have $800,000 to waste and we need to spend it in, a, in an emergency fashion on useless things, okay? Will you come back then, please? We'll probably deny you and make you buy a lot of staplers and pens, but just beat it for now. We can't talk to you about this right now. What was that? I just went on a whole thing, a whole a whole spiel. But it's so upsetting. The way the military spends their money is so, it's, it's traumatizing. If you, I mean, if you've ever been involved in how the military spends its money, it's traumatic, okay? Like, it's hard to recover from the dumbness of it. Okay. Just as a heads up. So the F-35's role as premier multi-role combat jet remains unchanged despite discussions of new fighter development. It's still going to be the centerpiece of much of what our Air Force does for decades to come. Charles Brown CQ this week disputed reports that the F-35 was a high cost Pentagon failure saying that that was nowhere near the case. The F-35 is not a failure. The F-35 is not a failure. I agree, but it's kind of become a joke as far as like deadlines and budget and, you know, expectations not being met and all that stuff. So let's see, where, where does this go? Uh, the Air Force is the largest customer for the F-35 and hopes to procure 1,763 F-35A variants. But according to Aviation Week, future budgets could limit the inventory. The magazine reported in December that the service might cap its total F-35 by a 1050. They got to take into account war with China would probably lead to a lot of F-35s getting destroyed. So you probably need a lot. Have you ever thought about how much, how many like Humvees the military makes, the government makes, how many uh, HESCO walls, for example, and these things all get like destroyed and they have like World War II, how many tanks, how many trucks, how many planes. If the U.S. went to battle and lost, you know, 50 aircraft, they would have to replace 50 airplanes. Have you ever thought about that? Like how insane it is when the military rolls out supplies, you know, we, we trash talk the military supply system a lot, but in reality, that's kind of bananas to think about. Hey, we just need 50 more airplanes in Europe yesterday. And then they make that happen. So let me catch up on the chat. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I'll try to find some good comments here. Justin says, bro, you didn't like the 60s. They're the best. I just always, you know, when we worked together, I wasn't so sketched out by helicopters, but later in my career, I was like, I do not want to get on a helicopter ever again. Kilo says, never got close to 53. They seem like an extremely impressive aircraft. I got to fly on a couple in Iraq and Afghanistan, and that was cool. I was on a supply ship AOR-6. We had two CH-46s, but when we did vert rep, unrep on a Gator freighter, their big birds would carry some of the load too, Larry says. So we, yep, me and Justin did a deployment on a supply ship. That was really fun. AOE-12? What was that, Justin? Andrew says, so it's modular. I think that it's not modular. I think it's its its own thing, but there's like a, a big brother and a little brother version of it that are used for different mission purposes. I mean, some of it's probably modular. All these aircraft are modular in some ways. 53s are workhorses for sure. Kilo says, I'm a bit skeptical sometimes with reliance on unmanned. Seems like the communication of drones would be the first thing that would be attacked. 
Yeah, you know, EW, electronic warfare, is a huge part of what we do. It's a huge part of what our enemy would do. Even ISIS was trying to dabble in, in E-dubs. Uh, but the United States ruled, obviously, in that realm against terrorists. Uh, there was no question. But yeah, EW is a huge part of it. Much of the next big peer-to-peer war would not be fought with conventional weapons. It'd be fought electronically. That is very true. John's Kripe, John Cripe says, The Scuttlebutt Show is great. Thank you, John. Thank you. Just some kind words. You know, last Friday out here, last Thursday for you guys, you guys really got me through that day. I was not feeling it. We had those audio issues. I appreciate it. You guys are rock stars to me. So thank you so much. Larry D says, I think they were USMC. Oh, you guys are talking sidebar. Only 35,000 an hour. That's chump change. Audrey says, yeah, imagine what it costs to sail a ship. You know, it's like we can laugh at it, but imagine what it costs to sail a ship around the world too. Justin says, nothing like as cool as the 60 Sierra. (laughs) You're a little biased, probably. Really like the style of that new Navy SEAL video you made. Ghost Rider says, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I appreciate it. And uh, there's a lot more of that to come. So if you guys like that, there's a lot more coming. We're going to watch that at the end of today. Dude, right? They suck with money. Yes, they suck with money. Like the way that the military spends money is out of control dumb. So dumb. Andrew says they also make sure to spend every dollar in the budget every year. Yeah, that's why they waste it at the very end. We need those rollover dollars. I've always said... Why penalize for not spending money? Why does the government penalize the military for not spending its money? We need rollover dollars. That would fix so many problems. Like, yeah, you didn't use your budget that year. You get that as a surplus next year. And whatever you don't use, you get that as a surplus next year when you need it. But instead, they, they force us, handcuff us into spending all of our money at the last second. Ah, so annoying. So annoying on things that we don't need. F-35, being able to data link into everything makes it unique. F-35 is a huge, huge uh, amount of computing power and electronic uh, capabilities. That is for sure. Justin says, bro, the aircraft boneyard in Arizona is crazy huge. I actually really want to go check that out. I actually really want to go to an aircraft graveyard, boneyard. They're, they're, you know, scattered around the country. I really want to go check that out. World War II, bad time to be a tanker. Oh, yeah, I just watched Fury the other day, actually. Rewatched it. Um, Insane. Fury, by the way, I don't know. This I'm so off my general topic here. Fury is not based off of a true story, but what it is, it's like a whole bunch of true stories that they combined into this one story where like every crazy thing that ever happened to a tank crew in World War II happens to these guys in like three days. So that's what I know about Fury. Danger Zone says not just the airplanes. Yep, very true. Regal says they were cranking out a B-24 every hour at the height of World War II. Yeah. How crazy is that? Wow. Wow, the military is an incredible place to learn economics. <laughs> SCP, yeah. Yep. Uh, if Amazon ran like the military, it would not be uh, in business very long, I'll tell you that. Kilo says, yeah, Liberty ship like every week too. Yes. Yes, Liberty every week. Damn, Liberty ships are old as hell. Fury is highly unrealistic. Yeah, Fury has a lot of things that are not realistic. It's true. Um, we're crew. Okay, so... We are cruising through time here, and we've got some stories that I want to get to. So let's see. What are we, what are, where are we going here? Where are we going next? How about here? So I told you guys about this story of this ROTC, uh, Army ROTC candidate, cadet, whatever you would call them, who was murdered while attending college, sadly. And, uh, and there's some updates on that. So I figured I would jump in and tell you the updates. Arrest warrant issued for suspect in killing a National Guard officer and Yale student Kevin Jang. An arrest warrant has been issued for a suspect in the slaying of an Army National Guard officer and Yale graduate student. Kin Wan Pan is wanted in the February 6th killing of 2nd Lieutenant Kevin Jang, who was found lying outside his car on a New Haven street with multiple gunshot wounds. Pan, 29 years old, is believed to be staying in the Atlanta area and should be considered armed and dangerous. So... If you're in the Atlanta area, the Georgia area, look out. He was last seen in the suburbs of Dulleth or Brookhaven, driving with family members, carrying a black backpack and acting strange days after the killing. Pan, who's an MIT graduate, is accused of stealing an SUV from a Massachusetts dealership on the day of the killing before driving to Connecticut. North Haven police had earlier interacted with Pan when the stolen SUV got a flat tire in the parking lot of a junkyard. Police had the vehicle towed and dropped Pan off at a Best Western Hotel. Ah, that's insane, isn't it? How insane is that? By the time the vehicle was reported stolen, Pan had fled from the hotel. New Haven Police Chief 
Antonio Reyes said that the team's Jang was specifically targeted and the shooting did not appear to be random. The arrest warrant is the development from Reyes's previous statements in which he said Pan was a person of interest but not a suspect. Jang, 26 years old, had recently gotten engaged to be married. The Seattle native earned a bachelor's degree in environmental studies at the University of Washington, was an Army veteran and Army National Guard member, according to his LinkedIn page. Task and Purpose reported that Jang was an environmental science officer assigned to the 118th. So maybe he wasn't ROTC. He was like active duty but attending school. At the time, he was on orders to provide full-time support to the National Guard's COVID-19 response. Oh, that's right. He was, co- he was doing COVID response. He was activated to do COVID response. He had formerly served as an M1 armor crewman with the Washington National Guard. So the U.S. Marshal Service is offering a reward of up to $10,000 for information leading to Pan's location and arrest. So if anybody has any information about where, what is his name? Con, Quan Shin, Quan, Kin Wan Pan is wanted in the February 6th killing. So Kin Wan Pan in the killing of Kevin Jang. So that's a sad story, but there's an update. There's a suspect wanted. It does sound like there might've been a little bit more to the story. Like they might've known each other. He was targeted. So we'll see what happens with that. Unfortunately, just covering another sad story of a, a soldier being killed off duty. I want to tell you guys really quick. We do have guests planned for this week. I'm not going to announce them yet until it's like right about time, but we do have guests planned for this week. One or two guests. Uh, some you might know and some you might not and some returning. So I'm really excited about that. I'll be sure to update you guys as that's uh, coming along on the Discord, on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, wherever you guys follow the channel on social media. So if you're not in the Discord and you're on Discord, the link is in the description down below. It's a great place to find updates on the show and communicate with me and the rest of the fans of the show. And just as one quick note, tomorrow's episode is up in the air because there are people coming to work on the house. Once a month, we have people come work on the house. And that always makes it difficult to run a good show for you guys. So tomorrow is a question mark, but maybe if we're not doing a show tomorrow, I'll do some pre-recorded content or something like that. I'll be posting updates on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord about the show's schedule. So let's see. Regal says, oh, uh, let me catch up on the chat. Red Tails movie, even more unrealistic. Just watched Das Boot for the first time today. Excellent. I need to watch Das Boot actually. Regal, it's not your boy. It's not your boy, A.O. Nixo, unfortunately. Uh, but it is some, if you, it, it's probably not somebody you've seen because this is an older guest re- returning. I, they, if this person is on the show this week, hopefully they are. It would be an older guest from about a year ago. I would not even know where to start with David Goggins as a guest on my show. <laughs> he is definitely not a, uh, a returning guest, and I don't even know where to begin. So uh, Regal put in a boot, um, Das Boot. Oh, Das Boot. That's Das Boot. Got it, got it, got it. Um, you know what's crazy? I got a story here. Kind of out of control. Totally out of control. What is Steven Seagal doing? Why is Steven Seagal the new pitch man for a shady armored vehicle manufacturer in the UAE? It says, task and purpose says, from C-list action movie star to D-list Lord of War. Steven Seagal, your weird drunk uncle's favorite action star from the 90s, is the new pitch man for the United Arab Emirates-based defense company whose armored cars have wound up in war-torn countries, potentially in violation of international laws and treaties. But hey, he really, really wants you to know about this cool new electric battle wagon called The Storm. It is gorgeous and does a lot of great things. Seagal, the actor of Under Siege, Chief Casey Rybeck. And deadly ground. It goes on water. It goes on land. It's armored and bomb-proof. That thing is amazing. If I could have any one of those vehicles, I'd have that one, he says. Now, you know, Steven Seagal is, I guess, a Navy SEAL, a former actual Navy SEAL, or and worked for the CIA and all this other stuff. Like, But I feel like even though I know that he's like a former Navy SEAL, I still don't know that. Like, It's the weirdest thing. Do you guys know Steven Seagal is apparently a Navy SEAL in real life, or, you know, he was an active duty Navy SEAL, but like what he did and when he did it is unknown and no one really, um, ever claims him either. Like nobody in the SEAL community ever claims him as a SEAL. It's a very strange thing. Task and Purpose says, Steven Scal is like the knockoff version of Nicolas Cage, which is a humongous insult. He will do just about any job, not just star in a movie as a cop, soldier, federal agent, or ex-Navy SEAL turned cook who doesn't play by the rules but gets results. <laughs> uh, where am I? I totally lost my spot. No, he will do and has done just about anything you can think of. He drove a tank into a house alongside a disgraced lawman, Joe Arpaio. He accidentally killed a puppy in the process of filming a reality TV show. He 
went on that show as a cop in like Louisiana, like Baton Rouge or whatever. He's an actual deputy. And let's not forget the time he was once hand-fed carrots by Belarusian strongman Alexander Lukashenko, who's been referred to as Europe's last dictator. And apparently he's even cozied up with the Russians. He's been known to hang out with Vladimir Putin and has been granted Russian citizenship as well as Serbian citizenship. He was a pitchman for a Kalashnikov USA before he was dropped from the role amid rising tensions between the U.S. and Russia. And he was temporarily designated as Russia's special envoy to the U.S. in 2018 amid accusations he'd engaged in sexual misconduct in the U.S. What is he doing? What is his deal? I'm interested in weapons, military history, tanks, and armored cars. And I'd like, and I'd heard about straight. I was very impressed, Steven Seagal said, before going on to claim that the company's armored vehicles are probably the best in the world. It's unclear where the straight group's new armored vehicle, the Storm, ranks among others in its class since so little information is publicly available, but it is indeed aesthetically slick and looks like a Lamborghini at a baby with an F-17 Nighthawk stealth jet. So I've got a, uh, a quick video here. I don't know that much about this vehicle. I couldn't find that much, but I've got this, uh, I've got this video here of him selling this thing and it's not great quality, but let's just watch it really quick. He's at IDEX in Abu Dhabi. Hold up. Those are hair implants, right? Like, that's fake hair. That's fake hair. Come on. Come on, Steven. That's fake hair. Why does your hair look so fake? Is it a wig? It's fake hair, right? It's got to be fake hair. It does look cool. I mean, it looks fairly cool, but that doesn't always mean it works. It doesn't actually look like it would work. It looks, look at those doors. How are you supposed to, look at these doors. These are actually really dumb looking. Like if this door, if you were ever getting shot at and this door opened, everyone inside would die right away. You would just shoot. I mean, it's got a, like a through and through hole right here. You could just waste everybody inside this thing the second that that door opens. That doesn't look very tactical at all. Is there any, I wonder if, is there an egress out the back? This thing sucks. Bomb proof can go on land and water. He's fat too. He just said it's a gorgeous piece of machinery. Wow, how weird. What a weird deal. What a weird dude Steven Seagal is. What's going on in the chat over here? Seagal was not a SEAL. CPO Shipley would have a stroke if he heard you call him one. Wait, wasn't he? I just checked this. I just checked that Steven Seagal was in the military. Hang on. Why is this so why is this such a debated thing? So according to manlymovie.net. According to Mr. Seagal, he's a former Navy SEAL. It's unclear where he served. He had told former business partner and ex-soldier Gary Goldman that he'd been a frogman. Goldman was suspicious. Then one day when pal Randy Wildner invited both out to die for treasure, Goldman's suspicions grew more. Wait, oh, did he claim to be a SEAL and he wasn't? Is that the deal? What is the deal? Why is it so hard to find out if Steven Seagal was in the military? There is no evidence to suggest that Steven Seagal has ever been in the military, although he did pursue a career in martial arts in Japan prior to returning to the U.S. Though not a military man, Steven Seagal has taken on the role of several characters, including Casey Ryback in Under Siege. So he was not in the military? Why does everyone think Steven Seagal was a Navy SEAL? Because he said that once? Is that why I'm thinking that? Am I just like, am I just way off and he was not? Okay. I, I, oh my God. Belay my last. Belay my last. Steven Seagal was not a Navy SEAL. And that's the deal, I guess. By the way, I would love to have Jocko on the podcast. I would love to be on Jocko's podcast. I think I, I would be a really good guest for him. 
So if anybody out there knows him, let him know. Steven Seagal is a cop, um, not a SEAL. So National Treasure was a fantastic movie. I love Nicolas Cage. Joan says he's a professional idiot. Watch Anderson Silva talk about him. Oh, yeah. I know no one respects him, actually. He picked up a few pounds for sure. Uh, so it does sound like he was stolen valor. He does sound like a, he, he's a stolen valor seal. Danger Zone. He's the master of selling out. He's a black belt in selling out. Nicholas Cage just doesn't know how to not work. Nicholas Cage was the best. Have you guys seen Jiu-Jitsu? Have you guys seen the Nicholas Cage movie Jiu-Jitsu? Oh, man. It was awesome. Nicholas Cage was amazing and kick-ass. I agree. I love Nicholas Cage. I love The Rock. I love Face Off. I love, you know, was it Leaving Arizona? Every Nicolas Cage movie. Or Leaving Las Vegas, Raising Arizona. Every Nicolas Cage movie is awesome. Uh, man, Seagal's gotten chunky. Oh, yeah. That suspension system won't last against mine. South Park clowned him royally. Oh, yeah, South Park is the best. Apparently, they're having a vaccine episode. The vaccine special. They had the COVID special, and now they're having a vaccine special. I can't wait. It's in about a week. If you need to exit the vehicle and something's on top of it, like a ru- like rubble. Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. Those hinges. It looks like the worst armored vehicle ever. Sounds like Dan Bilzerian. <laughs> he played one on TV. Jesse Ventura was a real SEAL. Yes, Jesse Ventura was a real SEAL for sure. There's a lot of uh, well-known stories about him, including fighting. Uh, who is Who did he fight? Um, who was that famous SEAL who like knocked out uh, Jesse? Ven- oh, Chris Kyle. Chris Kyle apparently like knocked out Jesse Ventura at a bar one time. Really quick, uh, you know what? What time is it? Let's go to this. Let's go do this. Let's go do this. Uh, Because this is cool. The Marine Corps, the Marine Corps updates its rifle qualification. So the Marine Corps updates its rifle qualification. Interestingly, the Marine Corps, where everyone is known as a shooter, every Marine is a shooter, every Marine is a rifleman, right? Changes are coming to the annual rifle qualification, and they're coming soon. Marines will be shooting in a more realistic scenarios wearing combat gear, hitting moving targets, and shooting drills in the sequence if they want to qualify with their individual weapon, be that M16, M4, or M27. In a call with reporters, the heads of the Marine Corps marksmanship training detailed the changes, which will start rolling out in the coming months. But say goodbye to the 1900s-era rifle training and generations of Marines have slogged through two weeks every year because of October 1st, as of October 1st, every Marine will be doing their annual rifle qualification as it is now known under this new, more demanding system. We came up with a course of fire that gives back to commanders, said Colonel Mark Liston, commanding officer, weapons training battalion, Quantico. Quantico being a Marine Corps base, if you didn't know that. Unless you're a new officer candidate or recruit, in that case, traditional initial marksmanship training and two weeks of snapping and drills, shooting slick, and in the century-old standing, kneeling, and sitting in prone positions will still apply. Oh yeah, standing, kneeling, sitting prone. But for the rest of the Marine Corps, a lot is going to change. Or if you ever had to do with the gas mask, have you ever, guys ever done rifle qual with gas masks? That is the worst. But for the rest of the Marine Corps, a lot is going to change. There's no more sitting position. Shooters will wear combat gear from head to toe and use barricades. Even the old targets are gone. A new bad guy photo. Gotta love a bad guy photo. Complete with weapon, skull cap, dark sunglasses, and a short beard. Like, who, who is that? Who is that enemy? <laughs> Who's that supposed to be? Replaces the round bullseye and the shoulder outlines bold. Where you hit the target now matters a lot more. We've shifted the target down to a human target. You do not. You do need to strike in an area what would have been identified as lethality zones. Anything outside of these zones, one could suggest it's not a physiological stop, said Chief Warrant Officer 5, CWO5. That's pretty high up, CWO5, John Costa. That's because an operational analysis conducted in 2018 showed lethality gaps in which Marines were having problems hitting moving targets and hitting human targets in ways that would incapacitate the person. Moving targets are tough. You guys, I'll be honest, moving targets are tough. To fill that gap, Marines must hit in lethality zones, basically a centered coffin-shaped area in the face or a home plate-shaped zone in the center of the chest. Nicking a shoulder, grazing arm or cheek won't cut it anymore. Oh, nice. Okay. So say center mass. That's where you should always be aiming. Aim small, miss small. Shooting will run the way it does in combat, closing with the enemy. Instead of the current system of starting at 100, moving out to 500, Marines will begin at the 500-yard line and then move into 300, 200, and 100 before finishing with close-up drills at 25 and 15 yards and movement towards the target before backing up to the 100, 200, 300, 500-yard lines. Oh, nice. Much more like the physical fitness test or the combat fitness test, the score from all events will matter, but a Marine must pass with a minimum score in each. So one thing we would do in the Navy when we were training uh, shooting was, you know, they would call them stress tests. If you guys have ever done stress tests, 
they would make you run a shooting course, including uh, multiple positions and barricades and steel and uh, whatever the targets are. But it would always start with some kind of PT session first. So you would get smoked with like 50 burpees or, you know, whatever it is, a tire pull or something. And then you would run your stress test and you'd have to shoot and you had a time limit. So you could only spend, you know, five seconds per target or whatever. And the whole course had to be done in two minutes. And you start getting just, you know, totally winded at first. And that's a really good way to train, actually. For example, on the old system, Marine could miss all of their shots at a certain distance, but make them up elsewhere. That's no longer the case. Marines will have to rack up a certain number of destroys or rounds placed within the lethality zone of the target, as well as conduct a specific drill for each station. Let's see, there, there are three drills, all of which begin at the 25-yard line. First is a failure to stop. That requires the Marine to fire two shots to the chest and one to the brain box. At a tw- The brain box, I like that. At a 25-yard distance, if the Marine doesn't do the drill correctly, is unqualified for that portion. Then the Marine does a 25-yard box drill. That's similar to a failure to stop, but involves two targets. The Marine fires two chest shots in the first target, two chest shots into the second, then one headshot into the second, followed by a final headshot into the first. So that's a box drill. I just did I just did a box with my mouse. I know you guys couldn't see that, so that was dumb. The third drill is beginning at the 25-yard line. Marine is told to advance and walks toward the target, firing the failure to stop drill while moving. They'll do this twice. And then there's 100-yard line, 200-yard line, 300-yard line, and 500-yard line, which allows the Marine to shoot standing or supported prone for five rounds of eight iterations at 45 seconds. If the Marine is issued a bipod, they can use it. And there's a video up here too. So we can watch this video really quick. So what you see behind me is what could be the biggest change in Marine Corps weapon qualification in about a century. So what the Marine Corps has done here at Weapons Training Battalion at Marine Corps Base Quantico is put together a more realistic shooting package that looks a lot more like combat. Marines are wearing the combat gear that we wear in combat, shooting the weapon they're going to shoot in combat. I'm laughing at that one guy who threw his backpack on the ground so intensely. Like he saw a spider on the ground and had to crush it with his backpack. They can use their magazine as support, they can use a barricade, they can use their rucksack or even a bipod if they're carrying the M27, for instance. All these things were not really uh, on the table in previous shooting qualifications. They're also going to shrink down the shooting qualifications from a 10 to 14 day period that every Marine has to go through every year to about three days. Basically, you show up, you do positions, you do some dry fires, and you start shooting. And that's basically what's going to be expected of Marines if they want to qualify with the weapon and be considered lethal by new Marine Corps standards. Now, the Marine Corps Weapons Training Battalion is looking to possibly implement this by 2021 after they worked out some experimentation. Who is this guy? Who is this bad guy supposed to be? Like, who are we training to fight? Are those Wiley X's? I mean, if somebody's out there wearing Wiley X's, yeah, they're probably going to get, you probably should get shot. But honestly, like, this is not... A, a person that the Marine Corps would have to go fight. That's weird. Possibly implement this by 2021 after they worked out some experimentation in the coming year. Todd South, Military Times. So the Marine Corps is updating their rifle qualification. I think it's good. I think it's overall good. I'm kind of uh, happy that they're moving to something that's a little more kinetic, a little more based in realism and all that. I think that's pretty cool. So good. Overall, Good. Good. So good for them. Um, now, here's the question. Do you think you could pass the new Marine Corps rifle qualification? Let me know in the comments. Yes or no. Would you pass the new Marine Corps rifle qualification if you had to take it today? What did the Marines not qual? Wait, did the Marines not qual in full kit? I'm not sure. It looks like they're going to definitely be in full kit now. I'm, I assume that they were always in full kit. Generally, if you're going out to the range, you're in full kit. I don't, I've never been out on a military range except for the Navy's you know, indoor qualification, pistol and rifle marksmanship range where you're not in full kit. Every other range I've ever been on has been in full kit. Hell yeah, without MVGs at night is so fun. Without MVGs at night is not fun at all. What are you talking about? (laughs) I did not like shooting at night without MVGs. And shooting at night with MVGs is also uh, just the worst because, you know, they're always falling down and you have to adjust them. And then you're trying to like just barely see and adjust focus and all this stuff. And then your laser has to be doped in perfectly. Um, Joan says, I love shooting moving targets. It is fun when you get a chance to train on moving targets for sure. And hey, maybe they're people. Everyone knows you can't shoot Jones. <laughs> Damn, Regal Savage. Damn, I'm actually going to have to try Air Force sounding kind of good right now. <laughs> hey, hey, if you're trying to be a Marine, you got to learn how to shoot. Okay? The few, the proud, right? I would love to shoot at a moving target, Audrey. Audrey, do you like to shoot? Do you shoot? 
Larry D says, CWO5, he must have fought in Bellawood. <laughs> CWO5s are generally old as hell. Let's see. You should do both qualifications. Agreed. And I thought it was cool that the Marines used to spend two weeks shooting every year, and now they're going down in three days. So that's maybe the one uh, the one downside. Danger someone says, that's Florida man. <laughs> yeah, your, your target is Florida man. Larry D says, looks like a Hell's Angel. Reminds me of a scene from the movie SWAT. Uh, Rachel's laughing. Good. I like to see laughter out there. Looks like a January 6th guy. I could pass it. No problem. My exact thought, Justin, you know, I, it crossed my mind too, but I didn't want to say it because I really don't think that that's what it is at all. Um, I think they're just trying to find like what could be the least insensitive target to put up there. And so that's why I might use tracers just walking on. Yep. It's well, that's easy with like crew served weapons for sure. But it's definitely harder with uh, like an M4 where you're not really opening up full auto. But if you have if you have a cruiser weapon and you have every fifth round a tracer, it's a lot easier to figure out where those rounds are going. Cool. Audra, love to shoot. I love to shoot also. I haven't shot in a long time. Let me show you guys something really quick. So you saw this in a video yesterday, if, or if you watched my skip. Hang on one second. So I picked up this. Uh, M4 at the local like Japanese store. And how cool is this uh, airsoft gun? It looks so realistic. It's actually made totally of metal. You can drop the magazine. Just every, all the buttons are in exactly the same place. I can switch to semi and full auto. Um, You can go, uh, you can rack tap bang this whole thing. The, uh, the ejection tray here opens up like everything. The, um, uh, uh, like the Picatinny rails are all legit. It's got day and night sights on the, uh, on the, um, on the, on the, uh, oh my God, on the, uh, your rear sight has the day and night sights and your front sight, uh, cannot, can be adjusted and your front sight can be adjusted, zeroed in. The muzzle is all metal. You could muzzle strike somebody with this thing. No problem. The stock back here is adjustable. I mean, it weighs the same. Like this isn't, it like literally weighs the same. This is an M4. This is like a straight up M4. It even says like government issue M4 on the side of it. So this is what I used in my skit yesterday. And this is what I'll be using in all the future skits. But I thought this was so cool. And I picked this up at the store at the local Japanese store. And it's pretty dope. I like it. It's a, uh, it's legit looking. By the way, hashtag legit. Um, from those videos is, I don't know if you guys caught on to that. The stock does, uh, collapse. So I don't know if you guys saw that my video yet and we're about to watch it, but the hashtag legit is going to be a thing. So I hope you guys, uh, got that. That was the joke. Dude, can't even name the parts. I haven't, I haven't held an M4, a real one since 2016, probably 2016. Like, it's a perishable skill, I'll tell you guys that. I uh, I haven't held an M4, an actual M4, since 2016. And I was actually thinking, when we were shooting that skit, I'm like, if I went to a range right now, how would I do? If I had to, uh, if I had to go do house clearance, like we were talking about the 10th Mountain guys, would I even be able to, like, do that successfully if it was just me, like, follow procedures? Probably not. It's a super perishable skill. So don't blame me too bad. For uh, forgetting the name of the parts, I just haven't done it in a long time, and it's totally a perishable skill. So I probably need to refresh. I probably owe it to you guys if I'm going to be doing these skits to uh, at least know the name of the parts. So uh, let's see. Andrew says, are you sure you didn't get that from the Yakuza? I promise it is uh, an airsoft gun only, but I guarantee you also I will not be taking it out on the streets. It's legit. So hashtag legit. You cannot own firearms in Japan. There's no guns in Japan. So nobody can own guns in Japan. Uh, nobody should have a gun out here. I don't think too many people do illegally either. Like I have never heard of a shooting in uh, in Okinawa at least um, at all. So I don't even think there's a big illegal gun problem out here. There are no guns in Japan. No guns allowed in Japan to clear that up. So you guys saw, I'll stay over here for a second. So you guys might've seen that skit. We're uh, gonna wrap up the show here by watching it. And I'd love to hear you guys' feedback on what you think would be funny in a future skit. Uh, I've got more of these on the way, probably one every week or two. And I am excited to get these going. They're really fun for me to make. And I hope that they're fun for you to watch. So if you haven't seen it yet, 
Here is that skit. We'll watch it live and tell me what you guys thought was your favorite part, least favorite part, and uh, what you would like to see me cover in a future one. Hey, Chief. Just get back from an op? Yep. Went out, conducted an op. Oh, that is pretty legit. Super legit. How long were you out? A little three-dayer. Three days? Yep. Even though it's cold? What? You guys went out on an op for three days, even though it's cold and the weather's not nice? Yeah, of course. We're Navy SEALs. Oh, that's hardcore. That's why they pay you guys the big bucks. That's right. Dive pay, jump pay, explosions pay. Explosions pay? Yeah. Legit. Super legit. Hey, can you tell me about the op? Well, we stepped off Monday, 0330. It's negative 18 degrees outside. Wait, were you wearing that? Yep, wearing just this the whole time. Weren't you cold? It's not about not being cold. It's that you don't care if you're cold. Legit. Mm -hmm. But you could have worn a jacket, right? Mm -hmm. Could have. So then we've patrolled out 18 clicks to Nabarabi. You know where Nabarabi is? Oh, everyone knows where Nabarabi is. So we're out of Nabarabi. Nothing's happening. So we conducted a shura with the local elders. What's a shura? It's a meeting between us and the locals where we tell them what we want and they tell us what they want. Oh, that sounds super productive. Well, and what happened there? We had tea. And what else? No, that was it. Legit. Yep. Then what happened? I bet it was a big gunfight. Oh, just you wait. So we stayed there that night just in case the Taliban wanted to start some shit. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They did not. Oh. The next day, we went around to look for weapons caches. Oh yeah, lots of caches out there. We didn't find any, but yes, there are a lot out there. And then what? Gunfight? Airstrike? Set some bombs up? Then we went back to Nabarabi. Oh, Nabarabi is legit. Yep, that night, we had chai. What's chai? That's what the locals call tea. Sorry, I forgot you've never been outside the wire. But the next day, yeah, yeah? We heard a village about a click south, Parada Majitaj. Some caches down there. I like big caches. So we go over there. I'm clearing a known Taliban house. Breached the door, entered the room, cleared the corners, wasted a fighter. Whoa, that's so sick. Yep, one EKIA. Then what, you declared a tick, called in QRF, just killed everybody? Nope, didn't have to. Oh, that's so badass. How many total bad guys did you swack? That one, just that one. Oh, so like one EKIA total? Oh yeah. Then we RTB'd, just got back. Dude, you guys are so awesome. How about you guys? What have you been up to? We've just been flying around doing our drone thing a couple hours a day, no big deal, really. You get any strikes? Well, yeah, yeah, we did a couple. Did you get any of those bad guys out there? Sure did. How many? 183. What's up, guys? Thanks for watching. All right, so <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy. If anybody hadn't seen that yet, now you have. Uh, I appreciate all the feedback. Pretty with a $3 dono said, I think the Golden Globe should put you in for best actor for your skit. Thank you very much. I'm, I'll be patiently waiting for my Golden Globes. If not, I'll settle for a Dundee. I'll take a Dundee. Um, 183, hashtag super legit. Ex I thought explosions pay. It's, so explosions pay is like a joke on demo pay. Um, so the whole thing was like just a, a huge satire piece. I appreciate you guys watching it and give me some positive feedback on it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, over on Patreon, there is a BTS video with some uh, some outtakes. And after all of these, I'm going to keep posting to Patreon separate videos with outtakes and uh, little comments for the patron page. If you guys want to check those out, get over there and uh, join patron at any level and you'll have access to those. A lot more of these coming. They're all based on my ex actual experiences with... Uh, working with SEALs and Green Berets, like I said, at the beginning of the episode. So all of these stories are based on some kind of real experience. This particular one is based off of a night that we were out uh, in Afghanistan. I was there with the ODA and we were listening on SATCOM and the SEAL team that I originally deployed with, even though I was working with the ODA, um, they were out on an op and it was like brutal cold outside, like negative, you know, 20 degrees, whatever. And they're out there on the radio and they were calling in, uh, you know, all their movements and, you know, the, the stages of their operation. And eventually they called in like a, like, uh, some, some contact and they had like two EKIA. And I was like, man, that's a lot of work for two EKIA. That was, a, it was a long night for that's it. And, uh, and no, you know, caches or caches. If you guys picked up on that joke, nothing else. And I was like, man, that's a rough night. Um, so I have 
a lot of a lot of these types of stories that I'm going to turn into skits. So I appreciate you guys watching it, like I said, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys will, in, will enjoy uh, seeing a lot more of those. That's it for today's episode, guys. That's all we got. Um, thank you, uh, Pretty, for the donos on that. I appreciate it so much. Thank you guys for all being here today. Question before I go. Would you guys want a t-shirt that says hashtag legit or hashtag super legit? Would that be a cool shirt? If it is, I'll get working. I'll get cracking on that right away. Let me know what you think. Uh, let me know, as always, how you're liking the show. You feel free to email me at thescuttlebuttshow@gmail.com, Instagram at thescuttlebuttshow, Facebook at thescuttlebuttshow, and the Discord links in the description down below. If you have a chance to invite somebody to come watch the show, that's one of the best ways to support the channel right now is just invite a friend to come watch tomorrow or uh, two days from now. So you guys might see me tomorrow. You might see me on Tuesday, U.S. time. 1800. But either way, stay tuned to our social media channels. And uh, if you don't get a notification tomorrow, about five minutes before 1800 Pacific, you'll know that we don't have the show. So I will, let's see, Steven says, thank you. Thank you, Steven. Thank you. My thanks go out to you. Audra says, cool shirt. <laughs> super legit. Hashtag super legit. And um, yeah, so maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll knock one of those out. With that being said, as always, I had a blast today. I hope you guys did too. I look forward to talking to you very, very soon, and I'm out for now.